am I, am I on? Did I turn my, good, good. Oh, we were going to watch that again. It's just so good. Hey, we're going to be in John and 1 John today. Uh, so if you wanted to turn to one of those, then we'll flip the other one immediately thereafter. How many of you have more than two fingers? Then you can do this. Good job. All right. Excellent. Good, good. Uh, so John chapter three and then uh, 1 John chapter four immediately following that. If you had to pick one, I would pick John chapter three. Just, you know, if you have to do that. All right, uh, let's pray before we get into God's word. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your love to us. Father, would you help us to see you today? Clear our eyes so we perceive you truly. Would you help us to hear you today? Open our ears, Lord, so that we can listen. Father, I pray that you would Use the preparation, the study, the things that you've been speaking to me about. Uh, would your holy unction be on me to share your truth, your love. And Lord, would your glory be awesome in this place, in our time of learning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John 3.16. You probably know this. It's a good reminder nonetheless. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, Christmas is a holiday with a strong sentiment of love. Often at Christmas, I'm tempted to be like John Coltrane. I just love riding that sentimental mood. You know, I just love the feelings of Christmas, the, the warmth of the holiday lights, the tree in the living room, the presents that are piling up that I get to give to other people and that they're going to give me if I'm being really honest, right? I, I love that feeling of that inner child bubbling over with excitement and joy for the fun and the goodness of the holiday season. Inside of me, there's all sorts of memories mixed together of sledding and hot cocoa and trips to the mall to visit Santa Claus, and hugs and kisses from grandparents, and plates of cookies, and candy canes, and winter break, or Christmas break, we called it in the 80s. Uh, all of those things are inside. But the truth is, is that this holiday is about so much more than sentiment, isn't it? In fact, sentiment only gets you so far. It covers over. It doesn't change and transform. But the love that is available to us on Christmas is a transformative love. I'd like to share a little bit of a story from Christmas Lane of years ago that I'm aware of, but I want to warn you because it's not the normal Christmas story, and we'll loop back to it at the end of the message. The fall semester was ending. The cold Midwest winter was setting in, even though we hadn't yet hit the first day of winter. The weather outside was blowing and blustery. The last and strongest leaves of fall were mixed with flurries of snow 
in the piles on the side of the sidewalk and the road. The students were gathered in the cafeteria, eating their lunch after a long morning of studies and finals. There was laughing, there was merriment, there were a few people patiently but furiously poring over notes for last-minute cramming. And then someone entered the room who didn't quite belong. He was slight of build. His hair, instead of being fun and colored, was crusty, salt and peppered. His clothes were nice once, but now they had the shabby chic of a man who had been outside too long. His skin was leathery. He didn't look clean. He didn't smell clean. His presence brought a strange silence to the room. And then what he did next was shocking. He walked over to the trash can. He lifted the lid and he began to go through the garbage to find his lunch. Soon, the mood of the room changed. Soon there was laughter and there was pointing. There were sniggers. Heads were being shaken. All of these people were about to go celebrate the holidays with their family. But in that moment, they were missing the true heart of Christmas. And then suddenly, one student stood, walked across the room, and spoke to the man who was eating everybody else's waste. And said, you don't have to do this. You can have my lunch. It's half eaten, but you're welcome to it. But if you'd rather, I'd rather buy you lunch anywhere you'd like to go. It's up to you. Shockingly, the crusty man who didn't belong gladly accepted the half-eaten lunch of that student that day. He didn't understand the favor and grace that was being offered to him. Instead, he was willing to settle for leftovers and scraps. When queried later, about what that student was feeling when they stood up and walked across the room and offered what no one else seemed to be willing to, the report was righteous indignation. Anger. How could people look on another human with so much contempt, so much sarcasm, so much condemnation, that they wouldn't offer the very thing that they knew themselves would need in that time? It's funny. Sentimental, sentimentality just covers over. It's about us and our feelings. But Christmas is about so much more. What's interesting to me is that when I talk with most people who don't know a whole lot about God, they tend to think that God should look at the world with righteous indignation if he really exists. They look at the world around them, and much like that student who sees the brokenness, the hard hearts of the rest of the student, they see that the world is not right. They see that somehow we as humans have messed it up. We've broken it. And they would expect that if God were to really come into our world, if he were really to enter right now, that we would all be in a lot of trouble. That we would be receiving judgment and condemnation. That the Lord might make some things right, but he would do that by telling most of us that we're in an awful lot of trouble and that we at least need to go to our rooms or the corner if we're not spanked for a moment or eternally. 
the reality is that Christmas brings us a different message from God. When I look at the world and when I think about it, I'm amazed that God entered the world with love. Do you know what the world was like that Jesus was born into? Historians say that there was this Roman peace that was over the world that Jesus was born into. And there was. There was peace. But the peace was not a genuine peace. The peace was a forced peace. You better have peace or else. If you were under the Roman Empire and you rebelled, you were dead. You weren't just a little dead. You were crucified for everyone to see. Your towns were burned. You were oppressed. There was a boot on your neck. It's the peace that is paid for by the boot of, an, on, of a superior force on the necks of those who are being held down. Does that sound like real peace to you? No, that's not peace at all. That's domination. The Pax Romana was a domination, not a peace. Beyond that, the world was filled with injustice. Roads and cities and highways were not safe. You couldn't travel at night for fear of your life for fear of your possessions being taken. If strangers rode into town, you didn't know why they were there. It was like the Wild West everywhere. Might made right. So you better hope that you're mighty enough to oppose what's wrong. Because in that moment, wrong will win. Beyond that, there was poverty. There was disease. Infant mortality rates were incredibly high. People didn't have what they needed. And no one really cared. Beyond that... God wasn't worshipped everywhere. His name wasn't spoken of well. In the Roman world, Augustus Caesar was praised as the Son of God, at the same time as the Son of God coming to the earth. So the world was spiritually dark, full of lies and false worship. Not only that, the king, that was king over Judea, King Herod, he ruled in a way that was even worse than the Romans. Remember what he did when he found out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? He told the wise men to go and then to bring back news of this newborn king so that he too might go and worship this king. But figuring out that they weren't coming back, what did he do? He sent an assassination force to take out the most dangerous threat to his kingdom. Boys under two years old. All of them. How brutal. How horrible. Somehow, somehow, the king of the universe the one who knows justice and truth, the one who has the right to judge, enters the world not with righteous fury and indignation, but with humility and love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Wow! Can you believe it? That God would love that much? that he postpones, he puts off the judgment because he knows the judgment doesn't fix. The judgment doesn't heal. The judgment doesn't redeem. But love does. John gets it. He writes it in his gospel in John 3.16. But then in 1 John, he summarizes it. He makes it very clear. This is what love is that God would pursue us, that he would step out of heaven itself and come down so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
It's not just that love came to say, I love you and give you a hug. It's that love came to make a difference in the only way a difference could be made on our behalf. To bring forgiveness. To bring reconciliation between us and our creator. To put his life down in the place of my life. In the place of your life. In the place of every human life that would put their faith in him. How awesome a present is that the gift of everlasting life it's so amazing to me that we get to celebrate a holiday of love of transformative love instead of with bitterness remembering a day of righteous judgment and condemnation see god wants us to know about christmas he wants us to know about jesus because god wants us to behold his love he wants us to see it and understand it. He wants us to not take our eyes off of it. He wants us to know it. Much like the star shining over Bethlehem, God wants his love to shine light into our lives so that we would seek and know the sun. What are you beholding this holiday season? As Christmas approaches, what are the things that are on your heart most? What do you find yourself automatically meditating on? Is it on the love of God that has come to the earth? Is it on the goodness of God that is revealed to all mankind? Are you hearing the voices of the angels saying, Behold, a Savior is born unto you this day, even in Bethlehem, the city of David? Are you remembering the announcement of all of the angel chorus? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those or on those to whom his favor rests or on whom his favor rests. Or are you thinking of the hustle and the bustle? Are you thinking of the busyness? Are you thinking of the sentiment? Or are you thinking of the things that you're missing? Because let's face it, some holiday seasons strike us as awfully blue, don't they? And if that's where you're at, that's okay. And God loves you and is seeking good for you even now in this season. God ultimately wants you to behold his love this Christmas. And not just this Christmas, but every day. God was planning Christmas from the foundation of the world. Do you know that? In Ephesians 1, it says, Before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. Isn't that amazing? Before anything happened, God planned Christmas. Before he said, let there be light, God knew that on that starry night there would be one star shining above while his son was born. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God knew that he would come down and atone for, his, for our sin with his blood. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing that God would plan for us in that way? That he knew we would need a savior. And he sent a savior because he loves us. Isaiah was a prophet who told truth about God before it happened. That's what a prophet does. He proclaims what's coming before it does so that people might know the power of God and his goodness, witnessing in advance of what's coming. In Isaiah 64.1, Isaiah, wait a minute, we're missing something. No, we're not. I'm missing something. I'm ahead of myself. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. 
God wants you to behold his love. So we're going to talk about three things that God wants us to behold his, uh, what's going on with his love. Now, first of all, we need to behold what God's love does. Love takes action. Love takes action. Love doesn't sit idly by. Love pursues what is good for other people. Has, ever, has someone ever told you before, I love you, just let me know what you need. And then you tell them what you need, and they're like, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> what do those actions show? Not much love, right? They have the sentiment of love for you. They want you to know that you're important to them, but they don't have the self-giving agape love of God in that moment. Because your request obviously was too much for them, which is, by the way, okay, right? That happens sometimes. Maybe instead of just silently backing away, say, I don't know that I can do that, but if I can figure it out, I will, or, or maybe I can help with part of that, right? God, God has this commitment to us. His love does. His love acts. His love seeks the good of the other. And it was a love that he planned. Like I was saying, Isaiah was a prophet about eight centuries before Jesus was born, a little over 700 years. He prays at the end of his book, Isaiah 66 chapters long, in Isaiah 64, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake at your presence. And then Isaiah prays beyond that, this prayer that God would judge the earth, that he would come down, that he would redeem his people, that he would destroy his enemies, and that he would be gracious on his own people. Even Isaiah didn't get it fully, that God is going to rend the heavens, and he's going to come down. He's going to shake the mountains, and all of the nations are going to see him, but he's not going to do it as one who comes to conquer the nations, but instead to conquer the hearts of all the people through his gift of love, his invitation towards peace. In Jesus' birth, God tears the heavens open, and he inserts himself into our history, and he becomes a human just like us. That's a really big deal, isn't it? To become like someone else who seems so much less than you. Have you ever been in one of those moments in life where you, you're serving someone else and you realize that you're going to have to enter into their world beyond what makes you comfortable? Remember as a youth leader, one of the things that we planned every year was to take kids to downtown Portland and to feed the homeless and to care for them and talk with them. And we would go to the, one of the rescue missions and, and there were like three spots where you could stand behind the counter with a long spoon and put food on a plate. Those spots were really coveted because there's a counter and a spoon between you and them. And you can say, here's some food, have a good night. Three people got to do that. Everybody else was walking around the dining room. We were asked to sit down and have conversations, and get to know people by name, and hear about their stories, and to just listen, and to try to embody the type of love and grace that Jesus had towards people. It's really challenging when you have to get out of your comfort zone. Even if we don't have as much as we want, most of us in this room live in incredible comfort. We have more than we need, probably even more than we want if we really admit it. Jesus was in a more comfortable place. He was in the best place. Heaven, where everything he wants happens perfectly. There are angels that serve him. There are angels that praise him. 
There's four that are seated around his, his throne constantly, just giving him the glory and praise that he is due. And then he enters our world. He becomes a baby. Most of the world ignores him. Who shows up at his birth? Shepherds, sheep. The city of David doesn't even receive him. You could go be born in the barn, Savior of the world. Please, have our best manger. Nothing's too good for you, Jesus Christ, Savior of all. Right? And Jesus is willing to do that for us. He rends the heavens and he steps into our world with a huge amount of grace and love. And the sad thing is that we often miss it. We often don't observe it. We don't really behold what God's love is doing. Next, we see how God's love gives grace. So let's behold the grace of Jesus. I love the angel's announcement. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Maybe your translation says something like, uh, peace on earth to those who God likes, who are God's people. It's interesting to me that there's this tug of war within many hearts, limiting that grace. We want to say there's grace to people who have found favor. But the announcement of the angels is far more inclusive than that. It's an announcement to people who we think would be far from God. These aren't people who God favors. They're shepherds in the middle of the night. They're not wealthy. They're not wise. They're not capable. They're kind of the bottom rung of society. Grace is given to them first. We often want to limit the grace of God for some reason. We're tempted that grace, to think that grace is just for us. Like we've gotten favor and so grace is for us. But this favor that is announced is announced to all of the earth and everyone everywhere. And Jesus embodies this grace. Jesus embodied grace so much to people who didn't seem to be deserving of grace that the religious leaders of Jesus' day said this about Jesus. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is confronting them for his judgment of them in Luke 7, where this verse is. They don't understand grace. They don't think that God's favor should be for people like that. Those people. You people. You know, it's kind of funny, but most of us have a list of those people or you people. We may not name them because we're not really comfortable with this option that we've created in our heart to discount some as being undeserving of grace and love. But God doesn't discount any. God doesn't take his grace away from any. He gives his son to the world, to the whole world, to people that you and I would say are undeserving of grace, undeserving of love. See, grace isn't given to the deserving. Grace is given freely. It's not earned. And so Jesus came and he embodied grace to everyone. And he hung out with the drunks. He hung out with the gluttons. He hung out with the traitors. That's what tax collectors were. They bid on the opportunity to have this business to extort legally money from their own citizenry. They were not nice people. And Jesus hung out with all of them. And his behavior and his countenance towards them must have been kind, must have been good. 
must have been gracious because he was called their friend. He wasn't condemning. He was inviting. He wasn't judgmental. He gave grace. Did he offer them genuine transformation? Absolutely. How many times do we read the gospel and Jesus says something like, go and sin no more? But what preceded that announcement of go and sin no more? Blessing upon blessing, right? You were a leper. Now you're not a leper any longer. You were a tax collector and you've repented. You were far from God and God came near to you. And now you've received grace. So go and keep trusting God. Don't go back to doing it your own way. Jesus was offering something to them, but he was genuinely offering it out of love, freely giving it, and not offended if it wasn't received the right way. Why did Jesus do this? Because he knew that love and grace is the only power that could heal the world. Jesus tells the Pharisees at another time, you know, why are you here? We don't really need this, they're saying. And Jesus says, well, of course you don't understand. It's not to those who are healthy that I've come. Those who are healthy, they don't need a doctor. But those who are sick do. Wait a minute, I'm behind one, aren't I? Sorry, guys. It's reversed on my page. Sorry, everybody. All right. Hmm. Apparently, I'm not together today. Please forgive me. It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick, right? Jesus recognizes that grace is the remedy. And so grace is offered. Look how God's love offers grace. God's love is offering you grace today. God's offer is for favor for you. He sent his son for you. Sometimes people who have already received the son forget that they still need the son. Has this ever happened to you before? That you remember the time that you put your faith in Jesus, but right now you feel like you're in a pretty good place. Like that if God were to look at your life, he would say, hey, you are nailing it. You don't need my grace anymore. You've graduated. You are better than the cross. You're ready for your own personal resurrection. You, you had that moment before? Me too, honestly, right? Like you do something really awesome and you're like, Oh, let me stretch my arm out here, get the old back pats going. And then, like 30 seconds later, you realize that there's still evil and ugliness in your heart. And you're like, oh, I thought I was getting it. There's grace still. There's grace when we're prideful and patting ourselves on the back, right? And there's grace when we realize that we still need forgiveness and love. There's grace when we realize that we need to be just as humble as the day when we first put our faith in Jesus. We all live by grace. I have a pastor friend, and, and, and I have many pastor friends, but one of them is uh, a guy who constantly seeks humility, and, and I think it's because he recognizes this factor in his life. And so when I call him and talk to him, I say, how you doing? He's like, well, I'm a horrible human being, and no matter what I do, I manage to find myself terribly selfish and sometimes judgmental of, of others, often judgmental of myself, but God has grace for me. So I'm doing okay today. And every time he says it, I'm like, oh man, here we go again. But he's so right, right? Like he, he has a measure of his own heart and he knows no matter how many good deeds he stacks up that something inside is always ready to put himself first, always ready to pursue his own way of doing things, even as a person who's devoted his whole life to knowing and serving Jesus. God wants us every day 
right now during Christmas to maintain that attitude of humility, that attitude that says, I need your grace still today, God. And I know that I'm not going to do everything perfectly. But by your grace, would you let me know you anyways? Would you still stay in my life? And would you convict me and transform me in the midst of my own failure to follow you, even though you've given everything for me? But then there are some of us in this room who are here because it's Christmas time. And God bless you for it. We're so glad that you're here. But you're not so sure about this grace. And what's amazing to me is that God has grace on people who don't even understand his grace, who don't know him yet, who maybe don't even want to know him yet, because he wants to know you. And he sent his son so that you could see his love and know his favor and love towards you. He wants a relationship with you. Maybe today is the day that you put your faith in Jesus He stepped through time itself. He's God in heaven on his throne. And he was born as a baby so that you could know him as a human. And so that he could die on the cross to forgive you of your sins. Because he doesn't want anything between you and him. And so would you put your faith in him today? Would you accept the grace of God for you? Would you say, Lord, I want this relationship that Jesus is offering me? I want this grace that you have sought to give me throughout all eternity. Would you give me the eternal life that you have offered? That's what I want today. And God says yes to that instantly. He's like pre-prepared to give that to you. He's ready to write that check again. Like, absolutely. Uh, In the memo line, he'll write your name on behalf of so-and-so, right? Like he's ready to apply that grace to you in this very moment. So you love Jesus in this moment back because he's seeking to love you. Not only does God want us to behold what his love does and behold how his love is gracious, he wants us to behold how his love transforms. So behold how God's love transforms. It's this cool thing that happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus. In Romans 5, Paul says this, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you realize that? That Christmas, that Jesus coming, isn't just about love being applied to the whole world in general, but it's about the love of God entering every human life who has put their faith in Christ. So that the moment of your rebirth, divine love is poured into your heart. You receive the agape love of Jesus, the chosen love of Jesus, into your life when you put your faith in Jesus. Christmas isn't just about love being born for the world. It's about love being born in me and in you as people who have put their faith in Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so good? That it's not just that love came 2,000 years ago to show the world the love of God. It's that love comes right now in each of us so that we have the same opportunity to embody the love of God to the people around us. So we behold the love, and we behold what love does, and we behold that love is gracious, and then we behold that this love transforms us and is poured into our hearts. So then we're called to do, so that we're called to be gracious, because the love of Christ is still spreading around the world today, starting with you starting with me. Isn't that really good news? It's good news to me because sometimes I wake up and I look at the world around me 
And in myself, in my flesh, I don't have the ability to love. I wake up and the toys that I told my kids to put away last night, not put away. Move to another room, yes, but not actual obedience, right? I, I wake up and my body is creaky now. I don't understand how this set in in the fourth decade of life, but it, it doesn't work the same. I don't have the spry energy of the 21-year-old who can go to bed at 4 a.m. and wake up at 5.30 ready to go for a whole week, right? I don't have the energy to love. Maybe some of you are feeling that. I look at the world around me and I think, oh, it's still a mess. There's war on the other side of the world and it's terrible. And there's inflation and it's, it's waging war on my bank accounts and it, it's terrible. And there's inflation and, and it's waging war on my waistbands and it's terrible. And there's all these things to be grumpy about. But then I turn to the Lord and I'm like, but God... You are better than all of that. And all of those things you're able to handle. And all of these things that I want to be upset or anxious about, I can give over to you. And so would your love be greater in my heart than all of these problems that I'm counting out over and over again? Help me to know and see how your love is poured into my heart. And teach me to love unconditionally like you love unconditionally. It's so common for us to put conditions on love, isn't it? It's so common for us to have a list of thou shalts for other people if we're really going to love them. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, says, thou shalt be a human, and then I will love you. Isn't that amazing? And that same love can be poured out in your heart if you put your faith in Jesus. In fact, it already has been. That's an awesome thing. Peter says the same thing. He says, show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. Love one another constantly because you have been born again. You see the emphasis there? Love one another constantly. Why? Because you've been born again. Peter knows that unless if you've been born again, unless if you put your faith in Jesus, your heart is not a vessel that receives this agape love. It can be poured out on you, but you won't receive it. You're like a plate when you're supposed to be a bowl. You're like a desert when you're supposed to be a riverbed. Nothing can enter and stay, and nothing can flow through. But if you've been born again, then you have received this pure love, and you can learn to love others with brotherly affection from a pure heart because love has been poured out. And so Peter says, love one another constantly. Constantly love one another. Do you know why we need that reminder? It's so tempting to not love, isn't it? I mean, people do dumb things all the time. And that's not even you. That's them, right? Like they do dumb things all on their own. And then you get involved. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it just seems to get worse? You're like, I thought I was going to help, but apparently I'm not today because I am also a dumb people too. I don't mean to be condemning, but we all do this, right? Like, I'm just trying to be humble and honest about how much grace we all need. And in that moment, we can go, but I can still love because there's love inside of me. And so, Lord, what does it look like to love in this scenario? If I were to just step back, God, how would you direct me to love? What would you direct me to say? How would you direct me to look at them? Is my countenance loving? Are my words loving? Is my tone loving? Lord, is there something wrong with the way I'm seeing because I'm tempted to not love? Would you show me how you see them? 
Would you help me to love them like you love them? We need to constantly be reminded to love because our flesh is pulling us back to unlove. Because our very human nature is saying, you don't have to love them anymore. You've tried to love them, and they didn't receive it, so they no longer deserve it. So just turn down the love. They don't need to receive that so much from you. Is that how God acts? Is God like turning his back on you because you turned your back on him for a day? Or a year? Or a decade? No. Always really to reconcile, right? That story of the prodigal father waiting on the porch every day. Where's my son? Where's my son? Where's my son? That's the father's heart towards you. That's the heart that God wants us to have towards each other. The scriptures also warn that because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. That as the world gets darker and more difficult over time, as we see that no matter how much advancement humanity gets, there's still poverty, there's still war, there's still disease, there's still hatred, there's still domination that wants to rule the earth, that many people will decide it's just too hard to love. But the love of Christ has been poured out in those people's hearts. And they can love each other constantly still if they remember that that love has been given to them. See, God's love transforms us, makes it so that we don't just love ourselves first, but so that we can love like Jesus loves, with a pure and unyielding love, a love that doesn't stop, a love that doesn't give up, a love that is always present. Do you want that sort of love in your life? I want that sort of love in my life. So you know what we have to do? ask. Ask. He's already put it there. Help, help me to see that love, God. I, I read in Romans that you have poured, you have poured your love out in my heart. Do you notice the word that he uses there? He doesn't say like, God has deposited a little bit of love in your heart. God gave you just a smidgen just to see what you're going to do with it. He wants to see if you're a good investor. Can you grow the love? Are you going to do something significant with that love? No, God's like, hey, I got some love for your heart. How much can you hold? I'll fill it up again. Did you spill it? Don't cry. I've got more love to pour into your heart. Did it dry up? Don't worry. There's still more love. It's everlasting love. It's great love. And so God, will you show me the love that you've poured out in my heart? Will you help me to not just see that it's there in idea, but receive it in reality and learn to express it to other people like you did? Lord, you, you applied love to my account even before I was born. How can I have that sort of love for other people? Before I even messed up the first time, you were ready to love me. And now this person is messed up and I'm ready to roast them. I'm ready to ghost them. I'm ready to quit on them because they don't deserve my love any longer. But that's not how you've loved me. So will you help me to love in a greater way? Will you teach me to love constantly? Because your word says that your love transforms. It changes. And I want to be transformed. I want Jesus' love to change me. It's not just the heart of Christmas is receiving Jesus. It's the heart of Christmas is being transformed by Jesus, right? It's the gift received. It's the gift applied that matters so much once we know Jesus. God wants you to behold his love at Christmas. He wants you to behold his love every day. I told you a story about one student's righteous indignation at the beginning of this sermon. Maybe you remember that. Maybe you don't even want to remember it. It's not a very fun story, is it? See, most of us, 
We definitely don't want to be those other students, pointing in cynicism and derision and laughing at the crusty homeless man. That's a horrible person to be, right? To be so hard-hearted that you would condemn and not have compassion. Most of us really want to think that we would be the one student who stood up and said, you are worthy of dignity and I will have favor on you. But the reality is that most of us spiritually are the crusty guy walking in, unknown, unwelcome, and needing love. The question is, is will you accept it? Will you say, I will take you up on your best offer, Jesus. I want everything that you have to give me. Or will you be satisfied with the leftovers of Christmas, the scraps of sentimentality, sentimentality the ribbons and the presents under the tree, the lights, those all feel nice, right? But they're not as good as everything Jesus offers. That poor man at the beginning of the story accepted leftovers when so much more than leftovers is given. But so often we're willing to celebrate the leftovers of Christmas, the remembrance of what happened 2,000 years ago, which is good, right? But we're unwilling to accept really the fullness of Jesus' offer to us, to put our faith in him, to have everlasting life, to let his love flow into us and then out of us as we walk with him in life. Behold the love of Jesus and let it in and let it overflow and let it overcome. Let your heart adore him no matter what you're going through. Let's pray and then stand and sing a final song to